Uh, Would you turn to Mark chapter 12? We're going to read verses 18 through to 27. Mark 12 from verse 18. Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him. And they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise And so the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the scripture nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore are greatly mistaken. Let's pray. Lord God, as we study your word together now and we dive into it together, we ask that you would work in our hearts and minds Help us to not make great mistakes, as the Sadducees did, but help us to submit ourselves to your word, that we would read it for what it truly says, and we pray that your spirit would help us to do this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing, of course, in Mark's Gospel. And through chapter 12, as I said last week, there's a whole heap of conversations that take place in the temple courtyard. I described the, uh, the scene as being a little bit like one of those really fake uh, wrestling matches where you go, go to the side, you tag someone's hand and somebody comes in for you. We've had the chief priests, the scribes and the elders have a go at Jesus. Didn't work. So last week we had the Pharisees come along and the Herodians. That didn't work. This week we have the Sadducees tagging in for their go at trying to discredit Jesus, get him out of the temple, remove him from public eye, if not worse. Now, the Sadducees are a group of people we haven't seen a whole heap of through Mark's Gospel. But they're one of the three main religious groups in Israel at the time of Christ's life and ministry. They were a group that you'd probably describe as being very conservative. Now, they liked the Old Testament in its fullness, But they held special regard for the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the the law that Moses gave. They held them in an even higher regard. They're people who, for a lot of things, they probably agreed with the Pharisees, but there's a lot of points where they disagreed with the teaching of the Pharisees. They disagreed with the writings of the scribes as well. But again, these people seem to be working together with the common interest of trying to remove Jesus from the scene. They're trying to get rid of him. Uh, Working through this passage today, we're going to see three things. Firstly, we see a a hypothetical scenario put from the Sadducees to Christ. Secondly, we're going to see the biblical reality, what Jesus says really is going on. 
And thirdly, we're going to hone in on one of the things Jesus talks about, particularly near the end, about God being the God of the living. So, the Sadducees are here, the Pharisees and the Herodians have failed in their attempt to trick Jesus, so they jump straight into the conversation. Mark points out for us right from the beginning here, the Sadducees were there and they did not believe in the resurrection. Now, I apologise for the atrocity I'm about to say. This is how it was described to me to remember one of the key things about the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. I'm disappointed in myself, but it helps me to remember one of the key things about these guys' beliefs. They just didn't hold to the thought that there would be anything after death. This life is all you have, that's it. When you die, you're done. Pretty sad, really, to think about it. We've just finished, and it's very timely that we just finished on Wednesday night, our recent Bible study series on heaven and the hope that we have in heaven and how that hope that we have in heaven, a hope for that perfect eternity with God shapes not just our ambitions and our goals, what God will provide for us in the future, but it shapes the way we live our lives with a sense of optimism that would otherwise be lacking. It really is a sad thing to not hold to that. So Mark makes it very clear. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And then they come and they ask Jesus a question about the resurrection. Now this is a a hypothetical scenario that they're putting towards Jesus. And they're trying to use this just as the Pharisees, the Herodians, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests, so many people have done, they're trying to use this to discredit Christ. And when we look at this, it might seem really out there. This is why we read Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10, to understand where the Sadducees are coming from. We look at this and we need to understand the cultural context because why would a man marry his brother's wife if, he, if she has no children? For us today, it doesn't make sense. But for a group of people who predominantly focused on those first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, especially what we read, Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 10, it does actually have a context that makes sense. Not one that immediately makes sense to us, but in light of God's word revealed to his people through the Old Testament, it does make sense. The reason God had given this provision, as we saw there, was so that a family name wouldn't be blotted out. We see God's love and his goodness and his care for all of his people in that. We also see a means through... A man marrying his brother's wife who has no children as a means by which there might also be maintaining a purity within Israel. Not simply just for the sake of genetic purity, but you look through the Old Testament and every time the Israelites married foreigners who didn't give up their foreign gods, which is most of the time, there was problem after problem after problem and it didn't just make family get-togethers awkward, it often made life in the whole of Israel painful on a deep spiritual level. So the Sadducees, we could look at this and go, this is weird, doesn't make sense, what are they doing? But they are actually building their case on a law that was ordained by God. The problem we see here is that they take this to an extreme level. It's not just one or two brothers, it's seven brothers None of them are able to have children. Seven kids is not uncommon back then, but this is still an extreme hypothetical. 
Now, we've said they want to discredit Jesus, but I think the Sadducees are also using this as an opportunity to make anyone who believes in the resurrection just look really silly. If you want to be consistent with God's law, they're saying, that doesn't work with a resurrection idea. You're all crazy. So they're trying to hit two birds with one stone. We'll get rid of Jesus and we'll prove that there is no resurrection at the same time. Some commentators note that they probably want this whole situation laughed out of the temple courtyards with how crazy this is. Hey, well, actually, yeah, it doesn't make sense. These guys who don't believe in the resurrection come to Jesus and say, you know what, this situation, seven brothers, all of them have had to be with the same woman, none of them have had children. If the resurrection is real and they rise, who will be the husband in the resurrection? She's got seven to choose from. According to the law, all of them could rightfully be considered her husband. This is God's law that is set down. Who is God going to say is her husband for all eternity? Jesus, who do you think it is? And you can almost see the smugness rolling off these guys thinking that they've finally caught Jesus out. We've done it. The Pharisees couldn't do it. The Herodians couldn't do it. All those other guys, they couldn't do it. The experts of the law could not do it. We have done it. Yeah, we had to dig real deep for this hypothetical situation, but we have done it. If Jesus was going to answer like a Pharisee, he would most likely say that the first husband would be the one who would be the husband in the resurrection. But then you get the counterclaim. That's not really fair for the other six, though, is it? What happens to them in the resurrection? They're short-changed. I thought God was a God of justice. It's actually quite a tricky thing to answer in a lot of ways. So this is the scenario they put to Jesus, but Jesus, in his response, shows us the true biblical reality. Now, to start with, or to finish with in a lot of ways, Last couple of words of verse 27, you therefore are greatly mistaken. If any of you ever had to hand in drafts for work uh, assignments at school or uni, and you, your teachers and your lecturers can't give you too much information straight off the bat, but you go, am I on the right track at least? These guys, they weren't even on the right track. You are greatly mistaken. Let's go back, start from scratch, rewrite the whole thing. You are wrong. Not even close to having it right. You must have a sinking feeling as a student when you hear those words. And these guys are coming to Jesus. You can just imagine, oh man, I'm not even close to being right. Whether they listen or not is another matter, but we should be listening. See, Jesus shows us in his response that taking scripture out of context is not a way in which we grasp the full understanding of God's word. As we saw Jesus answer last week, go to another level, we see the same thing happen today. When it comes to the resurrection, we should have as full an idea about it as we possibly can. Now, if we were to talk today and someone came up to me and asked me about the resurrection, I'd do something that these guys couldn't do. And I'd go to something that wasn't written yet. I'd go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that chapter we often refer to as the resurrection chapter. Now we go through there, the whole way through, the resurrection is just the focus. Paul basically says in verses 12 to 17, the importance of the resurrection of Christ rising from the dead is that if he did not rise from the dead, 
then everything we hope for as Christians is a complete waste of time. If there is no resurrection of Christ, there is no hope. We've taught you lies, disbelieve everything we've said, go back, start from scratch, do something else. But that's not the case. Verses 20 to 22 of 1 Corinthians 15 say this, uh, and this is from the ESV, sorry, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we have something of an advantage that the Sadducees didn't have in that we have the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. But Jesus still rebukes them for their ignorance in not knowing how God had truly revealed himself in the Old Testament. There is enough in the Old Testament for the Sadducees to know that there was a resurrection. Now, Jesus uses the example here of Moses and the burning bush. Now, it doesn't expressly say anywhere in that passage that there is a resurrection. But the words that God uses are very important. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am is a divine statement, but if God wasn't being serious about this, he could have said, I was. Past tense. Abraham trusted me, I was his God while he was alive. Then he died, so I became the God of his son. Then he died, and I became the God of his son, and so on and so forth. But I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. There is enough there that the Pharisees should understand that this life is not all that there is. To deny the resurrection is unbiblical, it is unscriptural, it is untorah-like if we're dealing particularly with the Sadducees. The resurrection is a crucial part of the hope that we have in God. Jesus deals with this denial of the resurrection in a few particular ways. He does deal with what he does there in in reminding them of the discussion between God and Moses with the burning bush. We go back to Genesis 1.27. We touched on this last week with the the coin, uh, the denarius. The coin and the inscription on it belonged to Caesar. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We read in Genesis 1.27 and 28. We go on to this week as well. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see the Sadducees are very wrong to say that there is no resurrection. And they are very wrong to try to use marriage to prove that point. Marriage is something that is very special. It is a God-ordained relationship between a man and a woman. This is how the Bible presents marriage, from start to finish. It's not something we can compromise on. There's a lot more we can say about it. But one of the purposes of marriage is for bearing children. We 
we could say a lot about marriage, but what we can't say is that marriage can be used as proof against the resurrection. Marriage is not something for us to use to meet certain political agendas. Marriage is something for us to honour the way God intends for us to honour it. What the Sadducees are doing here is wrong on so many levels. They're connecting dots that don't connect. And in Jesus' answer, he goes on to mention the angels in heaven. When we go to heaven, we will be like the angels. Now, what is he talking about? Well, we have wings and harps. Now, the wings sound good in certain contexts. I think there could be some shortcomings in certain practical settings, like trying to lie down on your back. Harps, I'm not a very good musician, so I hope that's not true, because I could ruin heaven for everyone. Well, most commentators ever say that Jesus mentions the angels because they neither married nor had children. But also in his acknowledgement of the spiritual reality, the biblical reality that the Sadducees had denied. The Sadducees, in denying the resurrection, are denying the eternal nature of our souls. We are made in the image of God. There have been books upon books to fill multiple libraries written on that. And for a good reason, it is a very weighty thing. There is so much richness in that saying. We are made in the image of God and one part of that is that we have eternal souls. Until we get those resurrection bodies that 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, there might be a time when our soul is separated from our bodies. That's not the way God created it to be originally. But the Sadducees are even raising this thing in the way they are. They're really just denying the way that God has created man to be. For people who hold to the Torah so closely... Jesus uses two things in the Torah, both Genesis and then the, 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 the passage of uh, Moses and God at the burning bush to prove them wrong. They haven't actually paid attention to what God says in his word. They thought they had it figured out and stuck with what they thought they knew. Jesus has disarmed the Pharisees' extreme hypothetical that they'd presented him. And how we did this was solid enough to debunk the entire scenario. But not only do they remove doubts about whether there's a resurrection or not, the, the crowd listening oh, could have had some split opinion. Are the Sadducees right? Are Jesus right? What do we make of this? But we need to remember. We need to remember that Jesus is reminding us that there is a resurrection. That Christ knew he was going to be raised from the dead as a first fruit. The first fruit is the first of many to come. It's not the only fruit. It's the first fruit. We know what that means with the harvest. There's more to come. There is a resurrection. There's a resurrection awaiting those who trust God, a God who cares deeply for his people. 
a God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to make that resurrection a genuine possibility for those who follow him. Jesus was raised to life first so that those who follow him have that real hope in the resurrection that Jesus reminds us here is not just a lovely, wishy-washy thing that we would like to believe in. There is a biblical reality to that. This is what God has promised to his people. And finally, we see that God is the God of the living. Jesus asked the the Sadducees, do you believe in the God of the living? You deny the resurrection, you don't really believe in the God of the living. You can't say we believe in God because we're alive now. No, do you believe in the God of the living in the fullest spiritual context that you can? The Sadducees are quite open about their disbelief of the resurrection. There's something that I haven't said yet, but I think it's important to understand with the, how the way the Sadducees argued their point back in the day. And it's important to note that Jesus says, do you believe in the God of the living? The Sadducees went around basically suggesting to people that if you believe in the resurrection, you don't believe in the God of the living, you believe in the God of the dead, of those who have gone before us. It's a pretty horrible thing to claim. This is why Jesus asked them, do you believe in the God of the living? Because he is undercutting the argument the Sadducees have put forward so often for so long. It's an unspoken accusation that if we understand the Sadducees, we see is very present in this whole thing. Jesus, do you believe that God cares for people right now or only looks after them when they die? Because things can be messy now. We read in Luke's Gospel of an account Jesus reminds the people of of a water tower falling on 18 people and killing them all at once. We read also in Luke about the time that uh, Pilate got upset with the Jews and and, uh, killed a whole heap of them. If you believe in the God of the resurrection, he would allow these things to happen now. You obviously don't care about people now. You only care about dead people and not the people who are right next to you. You don't love your neighbour. A lawyer who came to Jesus in Luke's gospel and didn't actually understand the fullness of what he was saying. Just a lawyer who had no spiritual awareness at this point in time understood that God's law, the Ten Commandments, could be broken down and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. These things could be understood just from the simple reading of God's law, of God's word. And saying, Jesus, you don't actually care about God's law. You don't care about God. You don't care about the people next to you if you believe in the resurrection. And again, as we touched on before, this is really, really important. Verses 26 and 27. As for the dead being raised, haven't you read? concerning the dead that they rise have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he is not the God of the dead but the God of the living you therefore are greatly mistaken 
One translation puts it, you are quite wrong. I like that bluntness. Now again, that tense is so important there. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God did not, and again, this is repeating myself, but it's important. God did not say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham and I was the God of Isaac and I was the God of Jacob. He says to Moses that he is the God of the forefather of Israel who died so long ago. Those guys are well and truly in the ground, dead and buried by the time Moses came along. But God is still their God. Just like today, so long after Moses even, God is still the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the God of all those who have ever lived and had faith in him alone for salvation from sin. Life, unlike what the Sadducees or even the atheists today would say to us, doesn't just come to an end when your pulse stops. That is not the end. To believe that is to deny the creational truth. The creational truth that we have a soul that has been made, as we saw last week and again today, in the image of God. This evidences itself to us through our conscience and our inherent knowledge of right and wrong. Based on this alone, the Sadducees could have recognised the futility of their claim that there is no resurrection, that their hearts were hard. The claim there is no resurrection goes against the very work that God did in creation. This life is not all there is. And praise God for that. Think of all of those things if you've been with us on Wednesday evenings of what heaven will be like. No more weeping. No more hurt. No more pain. No more sorrow. Working well. Not with the thorns and thistles that entered the world because of sin, but working well with God right there with this in the midst of his people the resurrection is something that's clearly presented through the fullness of scripture as something that only those who believe in christ will be brought into when he returns in judgment and those who are faithful are granted their resurrection bodies resurrection to life is a reality for believers but each one of us have eternal souls Luke 13 42 those who don't believe are thrown into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth that's hell This place is described, hell is described as being like a fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place absent of the love of God. It is not where we want to end up. Last week, Jesus said that all men, every single person who ever has lived and ever will live and is alive right now, owes themselves to God because God has stamped his image and his inscription on each one of us. 
to enjoy the resurrection that is the tax that we need to pay to submit ourselves fully to God fully to his word not picking and choosing the parts we like and leaving aside the parts we don't like like the Sadducees did submitting ourselves to the fullness of God's word we don't like the words submit submission those derivatives of it but this is where there is joy this is where there is life this is where there is freedom from sin these are the promises of the resurrection rejoice in the goodness of god the greatness of god the scope of what he has done that we can despite all of our sinfulness enjoy the resurrection because jesus paid the price for us let's pray Lord God, we thank you for this passage in Mark's Gospel. We read of a third quite tense argument that Christ has with people coming to him in a very short period of time. Something that would undoubtedly put an enormous strain on us given the intensity behind each one of these interactions. Yet we thank you for the wisdom with which Christ handles these things. And the fact that we continue to hold on to hope. That through each one of his responses, he drives us not back to, to ourselves, but back to you. In your goodness, in your faithfulness, and your promises. So Lord God, no matter what we face, whether it be just tiredness, whether it be opposition for our faith, that we would not rely on ourselves, but that we would turn to you, the one who has given us hope, and a hope that lasts forever in that resurrection that you promise. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.